So this morning I'm talking about that I know a ghost. There's a song by David, uh, by David Crowder called I Know a Ghost, and it talks about the idea of us knowing the Holy Spirit. And Holy Ghost is, a, is obviously a term from more of a, an, a King James version, but this idea that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, transforms our lives. Each of us love transformation stories. Uh, how many of you guys like watching home transformation stories? Any of you guys watch that? Home renovation stories, right? Where they go into a home that's been torn down or that's, that needs in repair. It's often a family that's, it's, that, that's in need and they've, they've got things, uh, you know, in disrepair. And they come in over a weekend and they transform the place. New windows, new doors, new shingles. They transform the lawn, give them a pool. I mean, some crazy things. It's great to see that transformation happen in a short amount of time. Now, some of you may be on YouTube, and you may see some of these lawn guys. I don't know if you've seen them, but I've seen them a few times. They go uh, drive around town, and they try to find the worst lawn in their community, and then they take a couple hours with their lawnmowers and whippersnippers, and they transform the yard. Some of you guys maybe have also seen stories of people going through transformation. They maybe are feeling like they want to get healthier, and so they start on a transformation program. They change their habits. They change their attitudes. They, change, they start exercising. They start changing the way they do things, and over time, we see their transformation. Well, in the same way, we think about spiritual transformations, and for 24 years, I had the opportunity to serve with Youth for Christ, and working with young people, um, mostly unchurched young people, we, it was great to just see uh, and work with kids over time, many of them who hadn't heard about the gospel, didn't know who Jesus was, didn't know who the Holy Spirit was, and to watch them hear the gospel for the first time and, and, and embrace it and accept Christ and start following after him and to watch the transformation happen in their life was something that kept me going as a missionary for, for all those years, just to see those, those small changes in the lives of young people from walking away from God to walking with God, reading their Bible, attending church, and growing in God. Well, today we're going to talk about the Holy Ghost as our transformer in our lives. As I was talking with Neil just before church, the idea of sanctification, about God changing us. Before we knew Christ, we were living by the works of the flesh. I was born into sin. I was controlled by sin and lived in sin, and I didn't even know it until the Holy Ghost transformed me through the power of the gospel and God's word. Jesus shed blood, and his death and resurrection paid the price for my sin and gave me new life. According to the scripture, the believer is baptized by the Holy Ghost at conversion and filled by the Spirit after that multiple times. So God knew in his wisdom that our old nature, that man was weak and that we needed to have the Holy Spirit, he would send the Holy Spirit to guide, to comfort, and to convict us. But we have to understand that every day we are in a battle for our very hearts and souls of mankind. Everyday believers, whether they're here in our church or around the world, struggle with the battle of our hearts and minds and allowing God to transform it. James, in his book, says that all sin starts in the mind and manifests out in our actions and, and, and through our bodies. In James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when he is leered and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how the heart and mind are connected to our natural, are connected in our natural connection to sin. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, 
You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. So Paul also reminds us in his writing of, of a war, a spiritual battle for the hearts and souls of mankind. Paul tells us to be ready and to put on the full armor of God so that we can fight against the schemes of the evil one. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the evil, of the devil. The Holy Ghost wants to transform our spiritual nature. The Spirit of God has been given to us to transform us from the inside out. Our hearts, our minds, and bodies need to be sanctified by God. Sanctification simply means to be set apart, to be purified, to be made holy, to be, to be made useful for God, to take a dirty vessel and make it clean so it can be used. In Romans 6.22, it says, But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So today, we're going to be focused on two passages, and Eileen read those for us, and thank you for that. We're going to start with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles or your, or your devices, please turn to there, and we're going to be work, walking through this verse by verse. I've got them up here, and I'm going to just read it again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in order for the Holy Spirit to begin to transform us, we need to see that Paul is talking to, to these um, Christians in Rome and he's appealing to them. He's, he has an urgent request he gives them an exhortation, and that is this idea of urging or, or appealing or, or begging them to just pay attention because I've got something really important to say. The other interesting thing about these first, three, these first few verses is the word, therefore. And as many of you know, that when you see the therefore in Scripture, you know that it's tying together some thoughts from the previous verses and chapters to what's going to be said afterwards. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 11, if you just flip back a page to, to the last part of Romans 11, here's what he says about the mercies of God. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Paul is remind, reminding the believers in Rome that God gives us his undeserved kindness. That he lavishes on all his children his grace and his mercies. His, his riches and wisdom and knowledge are deep. 
His judgments are unsearchable. We can't know the mind of God or give him advice or anything that he doesn't already have. We are dealing with God Almighty, who is full of grace and mercy. And in order for us to be transformed, we have to live within God's grace and understand God's grace in order for us to be transformed. Paul was actually taking a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 14. And here's what it says in Isaiah 40. Again, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And who has marked off the heavens with a span? Or take and close the dust of the earth in a measure? Weighed the mountains in scales? And the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? And who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? As we see in this passage in Isaiah 40, that the spirit of the Lord, or the Holy Ghost, was there to reveal God's mercy to us. And part of transformation is for us to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. This all-powerful and all-knowing Almighty God is full of grace and mercy. We are not worthy of His grace and mercy, and yet, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of His Son, Jesus, through the death and resurrection on the cross, we get to experience this incredible grace and mercy from God, when really we deserved judgment. So the second part here is, but that's by the mercies of God, so the third thing here is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We need to, to start to transform our own desires. Paul, in this part of the passage, uses the imagery from the Old Testament regarding sacrifices. As some of you already know, the daily sacrifice in the Old Testament was required of a willing or unwilling uh, sacrifice to give its lifeblood for the sins of the people. And there were many different sins that had to be covered by these sacrifices. And so it was quite a gory experience. Lots of animals gave their blood for, the, for sin at the tabernacle and, and then at the temple in Jerusalem. Sheep and goats and cows and birds were required to share their blood. But these sacrifices, these gifts had to be acceptable. They had to be purified. They could be without blemish. They always had to be the best of the herd. We always, they always had to give their best. And in Leviticus Chapter 22, he talks about what the sacrifice needs to look at. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish, of bulls or of sheep or of goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it is not acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock, it must be accepted and it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. So why would Paul talk about us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? Well, you see, God honors people who bring their best. And again, in God's mercy and grace, his undeserved kindness, we need to present ourselves. And then, the, then Jesus, who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he cleanses us. But we have to be willing to get up on that cross, getting up on that altar and submit our desires to God. And remember that Jesus was our substitute, that his blood makes us perfect in the eyes of God and that as a sacrifice is holy and perfect and acceptable to God. Jesus says in John chapter six, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Another way that the Holy Spirit transforms us, it begins to transform our hearts. And the next part there talks about which is your spiritual act of worship. According to this passage, our spiritual act of worship is to trust God in his mercy and grace, to die daily to my desires in order that I may become a holy sacrifice. And this is our spiritual act of worship, submitting every thought, every action, every desire to the Holy Ghost as we go about our day, from the first time that we wake in the morning to the time that we put our head down on our pillow, we are choosing to trust God. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out. Jesus also says in John chapter four, for the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The next one there, do not be conformed to, the, to this world, or another version says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. As we've already mentioned, we are in a battle. The Bible talks about that, that it's a battle for the hearts and the minds and the souls of mankind. The Bible tells us that God has allowed the evil one to have his way on earth, the Bible tells us that the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies and it is his main desire is to destroy mankind and trip up the Christian believer. One tactic that the evil one loves to use is to keep us in fear, to keep mankind in a state of slavery and not to be free. The evil one wants to distract us uh, from the living God who is full of grace and mercy and keep us sheltered in ourselves and fearful. It's interesting that Jesus who, is, who we often say is our savior. And it's interesting, as I've uh, spent some time watching some online videos with a missionary who goes to Israel and, and shares the gospel with, with rabbis over there, and he, he talks about how Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. And Yeshua is translated in, in Hebrew all across the Old Testament as salvation. Yet Jesus is our salvation. So when Paul is writing to the Galatians now, we're, we're seeing that there's a major challenge going on with the Galatians. And it's, here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And again, remember, Paul is talking to a church in Galatia. So this is happening in the church. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, according to this passage, there's four ways that the, that the evil one loves to take out believers, according to Galatians chapter 5, by the works of the flesh. The first one is essential sins, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Sexual immorality is repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. Impurity is a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. And sensuality is this idea of frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. If you think about Christian leaders who've been taken out by these sins of the flesh, the sensual sins, 
I date myself a bit, but back in the day, a guy named Jimmy Swaggart was a TV evangelist, and he was, he was caught in sexual sin. Bill Heibel was, has had sexual sins. Ravi Zacharias, various Hillsong pastors. We know that the Catholic Church has struggled with various sexual sins. And the evil one knows that he can take out believers and he can take out leaders by simply tempting them with these sensual sins. But the Bible says if we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, these will not be evident amongst us. Then we move on to the second way that the devil likes to take us out, and that's religious sins, idolatry, sorcery, and witchcraft. Idolatry is putting everything else in our lives ahead of of God. Maybe it's trinket gods. Maybe it's little things that consume your time or consume your worship on a, on a daily basis. Some people, like to talk, uh, some people like to take their Christian faith and mix it with other faiths. Sorcery, fortune-telling, horoscopes, casting spells, crystals, all these new age kind of things, bringing them together and thinking that that's what God honors God. And then, interesting, as I was doing this study, I read through the Wycliffe Bible Commentary, and the Greek word that rendered witchcraft yields the English term pharmacy and basically denotes the administration of drugs and magical potions, but has come to stand for the whole practice of magical arch. So this idea of witchcraft calling on the evil forces to give you power and give you whatever that is. So the question is, is what are those things in our lives? Or do we have those things, idols, that are taking over our lives? What are the things that are consuming us that's not God and his Holy Spirit? What takes our attention away from God. The next one there is temperamental sins. Now, these ones, the other ones seem kind of big and bad and ugly, but the temperamental sins, enmity, the idea of paranoid loneliness, strife, cutthroat competition, jealousy, the all-consuming yet never satisfying wants. Then we have fits of anger, having a brutal temper, rivalries, an impotence to love or be loved. Divisions, divided churches, divided homes, divided lives. And then we have envy, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. The temperamental sins of the flesh can start again in our minds and they can come out in our actions. And this is something that we need to submit to the Holy Spirit. We need to die to these things and give the Holy Spirit control in these areas. And then the other sins, the fourth one, is other sins. And it talks about drunkenness, which is uncontrolled or uncontrollable addictions. And then the other one was orgies, which is a parody of community or a perversion of the faith community. And those are the things that we should not, as believers, be involved in. And the Bible says very clearly in this Galatians passage that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the next slide is, I believe, talking about the transformation of our minds. As I mentioned before, the battle for our minds is real. The evil one is trying everything he can to get us as Christians to get our mind off the spirit and off God and to to continue to live in the works of the flesh, be slaves to sin and not alive and free in God. In order for our minds to be transformed, We need to allow the Holy Spirit into our mind on a daily basis, submitting every thought captive for Christ, taking those thoughts and and allowing Christ to have his way with them. That's that idea of getting up on our altar and allowing Christ to have his 
his way with us, not our desires. This spring, we planted a garden. And as you know, when you plant a garden, you till the ground and get it ready, and then you put the seeds in the ground, and you wait to see the fruit that will come. And some of you may have different plants in your garden already. We have some apple trees, and we know that on a good year, those apples will, apple trees will produce apples. We know that the cucumbers, when they come up, the vines, that they will produce cucumbers. And then when those tomato plants, they start to grow, they'll start to produce tomato uh, fruit. So it is with us as believers. If we are feeding the, our, our flesh and our, our, our nature, our sin nature, then those will what will we be producing. But if we, our mind is focused on the spirit, then and allowing the spirit to work in our lives, then the fruit that will come out of our lives will be come from the from the fruit of the spirit. Here's what it says, I think, in Galatians chapter five, and we're going to just start uh, actually a little bit ahead to sixteen five sixteen. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul goes on to say in that passage, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As I reflected on this passage, I imagined my wife, the one who knows me the best, would ask me questions about each of these fruits of the Spirit in my life. Love. When people meet you, do they come away feeling loved and cared for by you? Do you have God's heart of love for others, for the lost, for the broken, for the poor? What about joy? Are you filled with joy in spite of your circumstances? Is the joy of the Lord your daily strength? What about peace? Does peace fill your heart, fill your mind, fill your home, your conversations when you drive? What about patience? When are you the least patience with others? Is it when you're tired, when you're grumpy? How can you be more patient? Are you willing to be patient and wait on the Lord? How long are you willing to wait in your patience? What about kindness? Is your tone kind when you speak to people or harsh? Are you kind to people who annoy you? What about goodness? Are your words full of goodness and grace? Are your thoughts full of things that are good and right and true? What about faithfulness? Do you keep your word? Are you faithful to your spouse, your children, your friends, your church? And gentleness, does gentleness rule your actions? And then finally, self-control. Are you self-controlled in how you spend your money? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating right? 
Are you exercising, spending time in God's word? Are other things taking over your time and your energy? So as I reflected on those questions, I knew I have a lot of work to do with the Holy Spirit in my life, convicting me and, and challenging me of things that I need to work on on a daily basis. And that's how sanctification works. It's this understanding that we have things that we need to work on on a daily basis and allowing God's Holy Spirit to come and invade those areas to transform us. And once we do that, then we'll be able to test and discern God's will for our lives. That's the final thing we have in, in Galatians, or sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Knowing God's wills for our lives is the heart of discipleship. Allowing the Holy Ghost to transform our hearts and our minds allows us to test and discern God's will. In this final verse of both these passages in Romans chapter 1, verse, or sorry, 12, verse 2, and Galatians 5, 22 and 26, give us the outcome of allowing the Holy Ghost to transform us from the inside out. That we have been crucified the flesh, we've become living fact sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and the passions and desires of this world do not have their hold on us. Then we can discern and understand what God's will is for our lives. By renewing our minds and allowing the Holy Ghost to transform us, it requires us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, 25 and 26. They talk about us keeping in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us a rhythm, a cadence to follow. It's like a marching band that needs to keep in step with one another as they do the halftime show at the football game. So we too need to stay in step with the Spirit. We need to stay in cadence. If we stumble and fall, we need to get up Ask the gods for forgiveness and get back in step with the Holy Ghost. Keeping in step with the Spirit allows the believer to test things moment by moment, to approve or to discover, to test, moment, to test motives, to test actions, to test false spirits, to test truth. God's will is what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. God doesn't just give us those tools, but he gives us a few other ones, as, as we've talked about, I think, throughout this whole passage, or sorry, the sermon this morning, is that God wants to give us his word so that we can test and approve God's will. We need to know God's word. We need to be in it daily. We need to meditate on it. We need to know it for ourselves. We need to be that workman who is approved unto God as we study his word and make it part of our everyday. One of my best friends is, has, has recently started in the last couple of years reading through the whole Bible for the very first time. And it says it's changed his life. He'll get up first thing in the morning, he'll have a shower, he'll sit with his coffee and his Bible, and he'll read through the scriptures. And then, later in his day, he'll go for a run, and usually during his run, he finds that he can, he can meditate on the scripture and, and, and speak it back to him, what he learned in that passage. And he finds that it changes his breathing while he runs, and it changes his relationships with his wife and his children and his coworkers. This idea of allowing God's word to permeate our very lives every single day. God has given us prayer as a way to test and discern his will in our lives. Communion with God through prayer is a gift. We're commanded to pray continually without ceasing. We need to turn to God in prayer, not only in the bad times, but it, to praise him in the good times. Moments when we look up in the sky and see the, the aurora borealis, or we see a beautiful tree full of colorful leaves, or we see... God's beautiful creation just to give him praise for who he is. We also have 
God giving us community, the, the church, to test and discern God's will together. By testing and discerning God's will together as a church, as a faith community, we can do that in our care groups. We can do that through our, our elders asking for prayer. We can do that here in our church. But this idea that we have a body of believers that, we can, that can come around us, who love us, who care for us, and want the best for us as we discern God's will for our lives. So we need to keep walking in step with the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure that we're not allowing pride or provoking one another, because when that happens, as it says in this passage, it says provoking one another, envying one another, that, that can ruin a lot of things in, in our lives and in the church. So in conclusion, today, we're reminded from God's word that the Holy Ghost wants to transform us. The battle for our minds is real, and we need to become living sacrifices, giving up our passions and desires, crucified, crucifying the flesh. Walking in step with the Holy Ghost, we could know God's will for our lives. The fruit of the Spirit gives us evidence of the working of the Holy Ghost in our lives, and the lack of evidence means something has to change. So what about you today? Today, has the Holy Ghost challenged, been challenged your heart about something that you may need to take to him to make right? Today, after the service, we're going to have a time for prayer, as we often do. And today, Jared and Jeanette Weens are going to be coming up, and they're going to be willing to pray with you. But if there's something that the Holy Spirit is, is, is prompting you today, don't leave the church today without telling someone and asking someone to pray with you. And it doesn't just have to be Jared and Jeanette, but it could be someone else that you know and trust that you'd love to just share something with to pray with one another. We don't want you to leave here today without listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the transformer in our lives, and we need to allow him to do his work in us. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you again for this time that we could gather in your word. We thank you so much that we can gather in your name that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that the Holy Spirit can come and be that transformer in our lives, that it can move us from works of flesh to joy in the Spirit. We thank you so much, God, that you are about the business of changing people, and we thank you, Lord, that you love your children. We pray all these things in your holy name. In your name we pray, amen.